Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Dr. Ailey Cohen, who is a board-certified rheumatologist, integrative medicine specialist, as well as an environmental health expert in Princeton, New Jersey. She's collaborated with the Environmental Working Group, Cancer Schmancer, and other disease prevention organizations, and is co-editor of the textbook Integrative Environmental Medicine. In 2015, she created the smarthuman.com to share environmental health, disease prevention, and wellness information with the public. She lectures nationally on environmental health topics for elementary, high schools, colleges, universities, medical schools, and physician training programs. And she is a regular expert guest for television, print, and podcasts. She's the co-author of the new best-selling consumer guidebook, Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. Hi, Ailey. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. I love that you live on a farm and can't wait to start talking about that later too. Oh, sure. Yeah, I I found out about you. I think just like through social media, I think I just probably found out about your book and I was really intrigued. I, I love having conversations with doctors that have, you know, come out and said, Hey, like I, I mean, you're triple board certified physician and you've had an extensive amount of training. And, you know, in your TED talk, you mentioned like, I didn't know any of this when, uh, and I should have known all of this, you know, as a doctor and because it's directly impacting the health of my patients and it directly impacted the health of your dog. Um, and so I think, you know, these conversations are just so important and I love your approach to really, um, going in and, helping the next generation, because I think it's really hard to make, I think everyone should know about it, but I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that like you had a loop once you kind of got into it and you started lecturing, you had a lukewarm response in like hospitals and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a journey that started off with, first of all, me being like, what am I reading? And is this actually true? Because so much of what we learn in training programs, whether it's medicine or nursing or health coaching or PT or what have you, we learn from our mentors. We learn from the program organizers and the people who put together the educational curriculum. And we assume that that's it, that that is the best they got out there, that that's the most well-researched information. And, you know, there's a loyalty to that curriculum. Um, And so when I first started reading medical papers that were legitimate medical journal articles from around the world on various topics from air pollution to water contamination, drinking water contamination, personal care product, chemicals that are not tested for any safety or toxicity, I literally just really had to question whether or not I was reading bogus stuff. And so it took like five years, four or five years, I think overall to really feel invested that this is information that's out there. It's just not out there in the right locations to get this out broadly. Um, And which is why I really created The Smart Human, because I wanted people on social media, um, people who wanted to read the website to understand that this stuff is legitimate. It just hasn't gotten into 
our formal educational systems as it should. And a lot of that has to do with politics and who pays for um, curriculum. Pharmaceutical companies are very active in funding uh, medical school programs and nursing schools and residency programs. So there's a lot of conflict of interest there. And I think um, in now 10 years into this, I know for a fact that this will get there eventually, but it's certainly not there now. I know, like you, I, I love that you mentioned that those are the people that are funding these programs. So obviously it's not in the training and it's not mentioned. And and then it can become controversial to even talk about, which is another thing I think. I mean, it's less and less now people are realizing it's so tied that you. it's hard to, you know, say that that's not, you know, part of the chronic disease epidemic. But I would say, I mean, you mentioned like, just in our food alone, 90,000, is it 90,000 chemicals or food additives? Yeah. Well, there's upwards of 95, you know, thousand that we know of at this point that are registered in the United States registry for industrial chemicals that are allowable in all of the products we use, whether that's food, whether that's personal care products, whether that's bug spray, whether that's fertilizer, pesticides. So 95,000, I mean, every year we get at least a thousand new chemicals added to the market that are allowed. And in our country, in the United States, um, we have it set up. I mean, the rules are so, so poor that, you know, these companies, these manufacturing companies can create any chemical they want um, and put it out to market without any testing for safety or toxicity, not just in, in healthy human beings, but we're talking about children who body mass index is much obviously lower, um, pregnant women who are obviously growing a human fetus over nine months and, great, you know, brain tissue and developmental issues are at risk. Um, so we really just have a very poor system of oversight, regulation, and these chemicals get pushed into the products we love and no one realizes that they're not tested for safety. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this episode to tell you about something I'm super passionate about. If you follow our newsletter or personally follow me on social media, then you're probably aware that I'm on a mission to create a totally non-toxic home. It's a process that's not always easy and takes time. And recently we've been trying to tackle textiles and have been searching for cleaner alternatives that are only made from natural fibers. This is a surprising road to embark on because so many textiles contain contaminants and ironically, many, if not all the yoga mats I know of contain toxins and plastics that are not good for the environment or your personal health no matter how much the brand convinces you of their sustainability practices. That's why I was super thrilled to discover Bend and I'm really excited to share about them with you. Bend Yoga strives to support their customers' personal wellness by providing naturally made and medicinally dyed yoga products. Basically, they use only sustainable and ethical fibers and materials, and not only do they dye their pieces with 100% plant-based formulas, they actually infuse them with traditionally used medicinal Ayurvedic herbs. They weave them into the fabric of every yoga mat and meditation pillow to support your immune health, the endocrine system, circulation, and digestion. So more than being just a non-toxic textile, these textiles that they're using actually promote wellness. They're also crafted on traditional hand looms by highly experienced artisans in the Ayurvedic tradition, with every step thoughtfully designed in balance 
with the environment and the planet. Honestly, this could not be a brand that aligned more with my personal philosophy on home, nature as medicine, and environmental stewardship. For that reason, it was a no-brainer to partner with them. I strongly recommend swapping out your current yoga mat and meditation accessories for one of their healing alternatives if you're due for an upgrade or if you're just also looking to detox your textiles. Bend is also offering the fullest listeners $20 off your Bend order when you use code THEFULLEST at checkout. Visit bendyoga.com. That's bend with two N's and experience the added benefits of a medicinally dyed yoga mat or meditation pillow today. It's so wild to me because then you, on the other side, you have, you know, the FDA that's regulating all these claims that natural products are making and um, supplements and I mean, all products, I'm sure in general, but it's like the claims that they're making or these supplements that they don't want out anymore. Like they just took off NAC off the market. And I think that it's just so interesting to me how they can like put the time in to do that, but then they, you know, don't even regulate these other chemicals, but I'd love to get into, because I think, um, a lot of your work is like definitely the environmental stuff, but part of the environment is, our homes as well. And the products that we use in our homes, like you talk about, they're in, around and on our body. And a lot of people that are listening, um, are people who definitely have adopted, you know, our audience has adopted this lifestyle where most things that we do are non-toxic. But I think that there's something, there's like a block, right? I mean, we can know a bunch of information, but implementing it is so difficult because it's just part of our society, you know? And then you just like, you go, like you said, you go into a regular grocery store, you go into Target, you go into these places and every single product is essentially toxic. I mean, it's so difficult to find a non-toxic laundry detergent, a non-toxic house spray, anything like that. So there, and there's just so much to educate on because it's in our water. There's just, to me, I think the reason I'm so passionate about it and what I try and do is say, okay, what is it that I can control? And what is it that I can't? Because I don't have the time and I'd like, you know, ability to just, I have a toddler, I'm pregnant, I'm running this business. Like I'm not going to necessarily go into city council and start talking about our water or, you know, where am I going to go talk about geoengineering and all the spraying in the environment and stuff like that. So what what you're implying is that it's overwhelming. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I would agree with you a thousand percent. The topic itself is absolutely overwhelming. And you know, nine or 10 years ago when my dog got sick, you know, I wrote about it in my new book, Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. The whole introduction is the dog story. And the reason the dog story is just so, I think, valuable to, um, you know, sort of the next chapters of the book is because you're sort of figuring out the why, the why should I care? And I think without the why should I care, you can't get into the what do I do? Mm-hmm. And the book is based on what to do. I mean, I wanted to make sure people understood the why, but I didn't want it late, you know, so heavy on the why that you get overwhelmed and frustrated and, you know, you basically get resistant to change. And so the introduction I hope people will read because it will really, I think, get to their heart and their soul. And 
then when you get to chapter one, you understand sort of the chemical industry. I want you to understand the regulatory failures and the industry issues. And so that's really kind of critical in the beginning. But then I break it down in chapters that I myself would have loved to have had. I would have had this, if I had to have this book 10 years ago, it would have, it would have really made my life easy. And that's what I want people, readers should really understand that this book is designed to be a guide to relieve your stress, not to add to your stress. Um, You know, the first chapter, second chapter is about chemicals and pregnancy and having children and what you should think about, um, you know, and how to prepare in the most practical practical, easy way without freaking out and blaming each other and being mad or, you know, or having regrets. Um, It's about moving forward. And then when it gets into the next chapter is, you know, quality of food um, and what to think about with food, food chemicals and reading labels in the most basic way to be armed when you go into a supermarket. Um, And then there's drinking water, which I is probably my biggest talk that I give nationally now because people just underestimate um, quality of food, of drinking water, where they get it, how they get it. And, and what I try to teach is what to do about it. How do you get the cleanest water that you can get to put into your body or your children's bodies? Because it's just so critical and our bodies are made up of water, 85%. So, you know, it goes by chapter. Then there's personal care chap- uh, products chapter. There's a cleaning products chapter. Uh, home furnishings. There's even a chapter on, you know, how to handle radiation and cell phones and all of our Wi-Fi tech and what is 5G that's taking over, you know, everywhere. And, you know, I want people not so much to panic. It's not about panicking. This book is about understanding the issues and how as an individual, instead of waiting for legislation to necessarily turn around, which it won't um, in any meaningful way to human health, we need to do this for ourselves. We need to do this on our own for ourselves and teach family members and get this into schools and really make this information pervasive so that we're all able to reduce those exposures, which eventually reduce, you know, they overall, they're meant to reduce disease, both acute disease like asthma and allergies and rashes and chronic disease like um, over being overweight or obesity, high blood pressure, you know, cancers, autoimmune diseases, you know, these are all the chronic conditions that are now being linked and associated with these, uh, you know, this onslaught of chemicals over the last, you know, 60 years or so. Your dog, um, the story with your dog started because your dog had issues with his or her liver, right? It was an auto, yeah, autoimmune hepatitis, which is almost unheard of in dogs, but particularly golden retrievers, which is that particular breed. It's much more rare. It's more common, I guess, in Dobermans is what I remember reading and working with my vet. But the idea was that an autoimmune disease um, such as this, autoimmune liver um, in a dog was so rare and he was so young, he was four and a half, um, that it just really wasn't one of those things where you say, oh, you know, old age, you know, he's going to yeah. get something. Like we yeah. all say old people, oh, you know, you lived on this earth long enough, you know, it's almost like it comes with the territory. Well, it turns out that not only are dogs getting autoimmune diseases um, from many of the exposures um, in their daily lives, um, including plastic toys in their mouths and, you know, pesticides that we put onto them purposefully um, or even just chemicals in their food and their drinking water. Um, but human beings are getting a lot of issues, a lot of health conditions, not just greater numbers overall, but also within certain demographics, younger demographics. And I think that having been a rheumatologist now for 20 years and still practicing, 
I'm seeing more and more young people with rheumatoid arthritis, MS, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. I'm seeing thyroid, autoimmune thyroid conditions. I'm seeing just hypothyroidism um, in many young people that's not autoimmune, but but certainly hormone-based and immune system-based. So it's like the whole world is, it's, you know, the disease world, it's the diseases are shifting to lower brackets. And that is unbelievably concerning. And do you think it's like, I'm just so curious. Do you think that obviously it's because of this overload, but um, do you see that it's reversible at all with these lifestyle changes? Uh, you know, here, here's the thing. There's no guarantees in life. Yeah. Um, but what we now know is that there's this sort of dance between genetics and what we've been handed down through our genes, um, lifestyle, which is what we do with our bodies, you know, eating, drinking, resting, sleeping, you know, exercise or, you know, alcohol, smoking. Um, And then there's these chemical exposures, which are sort of in the lifestyle aspect, but also sort of separate because those are the things we purposefully put on our body. Um, Our feminine care products that we put inside of our body. Um, There are cleaning products that we just breathe in all day because they're sort of wafting around our kitchens and our family and, you know, air, air fresheners and carpet powders and all this stuff. And, you know, when we look at all these different things that come together, that's sort of what helps to determine disease. So none of us are really guaranteed to know what we're going to get. But what the data shows is that many diseases, for instance, breast cancer, 90% of breast cancers, new incidents, you know, new cases of breast cancer are connected to environmental exposures. And only about 10%, as far as we know at this point, are connected to genetic mutations. And that goes for many health conditions, including obesity, including autoimmune diseases. Um, And so what I'm trying to give people the power to do if they're able to sort of take on some of these practical approaches is let's, let's take something that we can affect, you know, that we do have control over, which is what you alluded to and what I, I put the serenity prayer as the first quote in my book, yeah. because I want people to really understand, don't waste your energy on things that you cannot change. Focus on things that we know are low hanging fruit. You know, don't buy a bunch of chemicals to bring into your house because the marketing is so strong to spray, you know, chemicals to cover, you know, your dirty dishes. Well, just clean your dishes. You know what I mean? (laughs) I love, I can't even fathom that, but, um, you know, I think the idea is that if you can just not buy stuff that are particularly high in, in chemicals, industrial chemicals that, you know, have no testing and keep them out of your home, you've done a great service for your body as well. Mm-hmm. And if you can then put in nutrients, um, nutrients that are actually been shown through research to protect us from some of these chemicals, then you have this sort of double whammy of helping your body. Um, so that's really kind of important is what to take out and not buy and save money from not buying. And then what to add in that bolsters our, our health, our immune system, our nutrients that we've evolved millions of years to, to utilize. So when you have a patient come into your office, this is kind of like the education that you give them, like 101 from the beginning. Absolutely. So, you know, I I see patients for an hour at a time because I don't have a conventional practice. Yeah. And, you know, when I take, when I have an new patient, it gives me an opportunity to educate them on so much more than just what they kind of came in for, which might have been a very specific issue. Um, you know, like a fatigue or a cold or, you know, or, or just managing one health condition, the way I see it, all of these 
body parts and organs and conditions and medications literally all play together. And so you really have to, I think, look at the whole picture to really figure out where to intervene and make some improvements. And, you know, I certainly get environmental health in there because I know and I've done the research and there's millions of of researchers. I wouldn't say millions. There's definitely thousands of researchers, but certainly thousands of papers worldwide, including the World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American um, Academy of Obstetricians, Gynecologists, the Endocrine Society. All of these medical based bodies are now recognizing the importance of environment and environmental exposures on these chronic conditions. So it has to be part, I believe, of every medical visit. It's just not set up that way in our current healthcare system. And do you think it's going to ever be the case where we could take these products off the market? Well, currently, it's up to the manufacturers to take a product off the market, even if it causes severe harm to the public which is pretty remarkable. Um, There was a hair product, I think it was the Wen Company. Uh, You might have remembered that in the news, but it was like a couple years ago. Anyway, it was like, you know, making everyone's hair fall out. And the only only company or only person or only group that could take it actually off the market wasn't the U.S. government. They have no rights to do that. It had to be the manufacturer um, yeah, repealing it or taking it off on their own. And usually that comes from an uproar from the consumers. Um, But we shouldn't have to wait that long for that kind of thing. I mean, Johnson & Johnson's talc. I mean, that's an important, very important case because we know that they even knew internally that asbestos was part of, um, you know, talc. And when talc is sourced, it's actually from from, you know, soil, earth, you know, when they take talc out of the the earth, um, it's often connected to areas of natural asbestos, which is obviously a, a natural component. And so not being able to separate those two is is really a critical issue. And that's why there was such a, a rise, um, you know, in numbers of ovarian cancer cases. And there was well known within the company, apparently. Um, but uh, but it didn't it didn't. Um, come off the market or become an issue until people got sick. And that's what we're finding also with glyphosate. Yeah. Um, glyphosate is a the number one, you know, herbicide in the world, uh, but particularly in the United States. I wouldn't say in the world now, actually, because they've gotten rid of it in Mexico. Um, they're considering banning, banning it in Europe. Um, yeah. It's been taken out of, of you know, parks in Miami, um, possibly in New York City. So glyphosate, which is Roundup, I was just at one of the big box landscaping stores to get some plants. And of course, there's piles and piles of sprayable Roundup for people to bring home to their lawns. And it just makes me want to cry. Yeah. I I just interviewed Kim Conti from Non-Toxic Neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. She has helped get glyphosate off, uh, well, like for cities to ban glyphosate um, and like as part of why New York State might be banning it or may have just signed it. Um, But 200 cities around the world that have banned it because of her work. Um, But she was also telling me, because it's great that these cities are adopting it, but people can still go to the store and buy it, which is insane. And they don't know. I mean, I, and most people don't know. And like, that's why your work is so important because it's really about the education piece of knowing, wait, this is on the market, but it's actually bad for me. Like they didn't actually regulate it. I had no idea. Um, she also told me about Speed 240, which 
is like another pesticide that they spray that's 50 D, D. I think D, 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 or D24, I think, yeah. yeah. Maybe I think that has like Agent Orange, 50% yeah. Agent Orange in it. And I was just like, wait, what? And this is being sprayed outside. I live in Newport Beach, California, and they have an adopt, they have like a 0% weed tolerance policy and they just love their chemicals and it's just sprayed everywhere. And my poor dog, I see her health totally declining. Um, I never want to let my son go into the park, but then I also need, you know, I need to have him have the opportunity to go play with his friends too. So it's really hard. Well, Um, I live, we live on a farm, as you mentioned. And so up against our backyard, 15 feet from my kids' bedroom windows is 200 acres of glyphosate sprayed farm. No way. So we've managed, I, I see what I'm also trying to teach people is that when you communicate with people that have been doing farming this way for many, many years, Um, these are, you know, old time farmers in my town and, you know, I would rather work with them with honey than vinegar. And so communicating with them, educating them, bringing over beer is what I did, uh, talking with them and letting them know some of the issues and, and working with them to see if they can understand why it's such an issue for people, especially in a residential area. So we did manage to get glyphosate, um, swapped out for a different chemical, but the problem is I wasn't made aware of the new one. And now I'm researching that after it's been sprayed. And I'm finding that that's, as, you know, worrisome as well. Because, um, you know, at that stage, there hasn't been that many studies on this newer one, which is usually combinations of older chemicals. Yeah. And also, it's not just the active ingredient like a glyphosate that would be worrisome. There's the inactive ingredients that are literally not even uh, required to be mentioned or even required major studies. And so we're really just getting doused in this stuff. And, you know, it's upsetting because there's really no place in the world that's so immune to exposures. People try to leave and go to different places like Maine or they'll go to Alaska or they'll go to, you know, if they're really conscious about it. But it turns out out that Alaskan whales have, uh, you know, when they test their fat, that they have industrial chemicals that are not even local, that they're they're carried oh, on the trade with. So, you know, it's one of those things where... You um, can't get away from it. Well, you can't get away from it entirely, but there is truth to the fact that when you reduce exposures, you can absolutely measure this exchange. Um, bisphenol A, as I talk about in the book, um, is a plastic chemical that's in all canned foods in this country. It's It lines every canned drink or food, Diet Coke, Pepsi, you know, all of our organic canned foods, except for very few companies, actually. Um, And so that plastic chemical, which was actually taken out of baby bottles in 2012 because of its effect on hormones, it's an endocrine disruptor, actually largely in part by my uh, my colleague, Dr. Vamsal, who's my, he's my co-author um, on two books now. Um, and he was, it was his really, his, his work and his colleagues that really pushed to get that out of baby bottles. But if it's so harmful to babies um, and taken out of baby bottles, and it was such a battle to do that, why are we not understanding how much that ex- that exposure plays out into our canned foods and drinks? And that if we have a couple canned foods or drinks per day, we're getting a much larger exposure than, say, if we were doing it once a week or once a month. Um, and then also BPA has immune system effects, hormone effects. And But if you take away canned foods, and this was a wonderful study I described in, in the book, that, um, in fact, one study took um, canned foods for, for lunch, Progresso Soup, 
and fed it to 75 um, Harvard students um, and participants. And after seven days, they swapped out to uh, homemade soup with no BPA. Um, with no other changes. And the drop in BPA in the urine, which is how it's tested, it's a metabolite of BPA, dropped by 1,100%. Wow. Because it's, it's, it has a half-life of six to eight hours. So it happens to be a chemical that will break down in a very reasonable amount of time. Um, so therefore, you have the opportunity of really wiping it out of your system for a reasonable period of time. Whereas other chemicals like nonstick chemicals from pans, nonstick pans, um, stain, guard, stain guard chemicals, you know, grease proofing chemicals on fast food wrappers, those actually stay in our bodies and the environment for a very long time. Is that so, the same? So would you say like when you go out to get a cup of coffee or when you go to the market and make your own salad or get something to go. I mean, it's an, all these to-go containers are lined with things. Yeah, they're, they're, they have plasticizer chemicals. They have coatings yeah. to make them not grease-proof or soggy. Yeah, um, and, and that's more of like a Teflon or PFOA than a um, BPA or? Yeah, well, it can be both, actually. Um, they can get really creative with these chemicals. Um, they also have BPA substitutes called BPS, BPF, BPF. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you have this sort of wild, wild west of manufacturing, um, a lot of times they will focus on sort of the sustainability aspect or whether or not if they make change in ingredient in their packaging, it's good for the earth. But we have to think about what's good for human health. And they yeah. don't actually add that into their marketing or equation uh, because they're afraid to, because they know that there's going to be a problem. And so I think what we need is a combination of good green chemistry, where chemistry is really done well from, you know, the start of that, you know, concept of that compound to make into packaging all the way through to what it does to human health, how it breaks down even after we pee it out, yeah, poop it out, and then where it goes in our water system and in, in our wildlife, because that's the whole cycle of many of these chemicals. It's not just one spot. Totally. I always think about it. If it's, if it's actually good for me, then of course it's going to be good for the earth too. So it's like, kind of reversing that process of, well, if it's bad for us, obviously it's bad for the earth and it shouldn't be around, but it's tough to, um, you know, it's tough to relay that obviously to people who are just trying to make money, but yeah. And, 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 you know, to be realistic, I mean, you're seeing me now in my unwashed hair, but I, I do color my hair and my kids do eat you know, Skittles and, you know, occasionally. And, you know, we live our lives, but we have learned to do it in a way that works on these issues in a way that doesn't make us crazy. And yeah. I think that for those listening, yes, you know, it's scary, but I have come full circle and really tried to give people good quality information that doesn't take a lot of work or money or time to figure out. It's, and even I have a checklist. I have a refrigerator checklist at the back of the book to kind of work through. Um, and it's a journey for everyone at their own speed. It took me nine years and I'm still learning every single day. I'm learning something interesting or new or something to tweak. Um, and it's become sort of a game in my mind. That's how I kind of keep going is because I'm sussing out the problem and trying to tweak it. And um, when we travel, when we go to soccer games, you know, my kids grab a you know, a crappy water, uh, you know, a drink from their friends, moms and a team, whatever. I'm not going to complain. I just want, I want my kids to kind of generally know why it is that we have the choices that we have in our home and in our life. And if they choose to do that in their own lives, that's up to them. 
So I think a lot of people, including myself that are listening, probably have an easier time reading a food label or package or um, now with like beauty labels and stuff like that, even though I think those are more difficult. But um, I think the most difficult for me would be like a laundry and stuff like that. But still, it's it's still easier because the idea is, okay, if it's really hard to pronounce or whatever, then like kind of look into it more. But I'm curious what your recommendations are for water. Um, I have like a whole house filter and then I have a drinking filter as well on top of that for like just drinking water. But I'm curious what you recommend people. And then also with um, just Wi-Fi and stuff in general, because like for me, I have a switch that turns on and off and we hard hardwired everything. But I'm curious what your recommendations are for those two things. Well, first of all, those are wonderful decisions to make that you've chosen to do. And I think, you know, people can learn from that, certainly. And those are those are really good ideas. I try to give people ideas and there's a whole chapter on drinking water to give people a real just an understanding of why it's valuable and what to think about and all the options. There's plenty of options for filtration, water filtration. I just believe that knowing what we now know about drinking water in this country and, you know, just to give you a fun fact that's a little demoralizing is that we have one law called the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974 that is largely responsible for what is um, managed at our water treatment plants around the country. We have 160,000 U.S. water, wastewater management plants that, you know, serve about 80% of the U.S. population for drinking water in terms of what they clean. And the water that goes through there comes from lakes and streams and aquifers underneath the ground, but it also comes from sewage and, you know, runoff from farms and fertilizers and industrial plants. And it comes from coal ash, which is, um, you know, the stuff that's wasted after coal is manufactured, fracking chemicals, medications get into our toilet water that is not actually taken off at the wastewater plant. So You know, the idea, and I have a a nice graphic in the book that we were very proud to put together that kind of shows all the different aspects of where water, um, you know, what goes into water that goes through the treatment plant and then what comes out through the other side. So you get an understanding of how limited. Um, And that Safe Drinking Water Act um, only covers 91 chemicals. Literally, oh 91 chemicals. So out of 95,000 that can get into our water from every aspect of life and from every location in the world on the earth and our toilets, um, really only uh, only 91 are covered. So that means that they're just checked for a level. And if they go too high above that maximum contaminant level or MCL, um, they are remediated back to that level. So it doesn't mean that that level is actually safe. That's a whole nother issue. Uh, especially in a baby versus an adult male, you know, when you're talking about body mass index and water and how many times you fill up a formula bottle, that's very different than, you know, a grown man drinking, you know, an eight ounce glass of water versus a baby. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm trying to give people the why so that people can go out there and just do the what. And and often the what is very practical. And my recommendation, um, you know, and I used, you know, pitcher filters for years because I didn't know better, but I kind of felt that that was probably a good idea, especially living in New York at the time. But all water is at risk, all water, every suburb, every city. Um, The further and more rural you get, you have wells and well water, that can be an issue. 
um, for its own reasons, which I discuss. But um, the idea is that everyone has an opportunity to filter their water, whether it's a pitcher, whether it's something you attach to your faucet, whether it's a refrigerator door, those are all carbon filters. And then, of course, the more extreme way of filtering water, which is now accessible pretty much financially to everyone, is a reverse osmosis water filter. And I tell people you don't need a whole service to come in and spend thousands of dollars for them to tell you your water is already dirty. Take my word for it. It's already dirty. You don't need testing to know that. You just want to get the reverse osmosis water system that's like 300 bucks. They're 275, the company I use out in California, that all the parts are made within the United States, in California, nothing's outsourced for anything, even the filtration portion. And yeah. you want a company that doesn't um, come in and sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, that, you know, we buy it for 275 plus tax. We also buy $13 tubing that goes to the ice cubes. Um, there's no bells and whistles on it. You know, you don't need extra lights or extra filters or anything. You just get the basic reverse osmosis. Comes in a box. You get a plumber, local plumber, who can put it in in one hour. If they put it in in four hours, they've totally taken you because it's not oh that complicated. <laughs> They're just splitting the water line. And and uh, and then you carry your water in glass and stainless steel. It costs about $40 a year to change out the cartridges and an RO filter. So, you know, all of these pitcher filters, Brita and Zero Water, they're great, but they also quite expensive. When you start paying for the filters, you're better yeah. off just getting getting an RO filter um, that's reputable, certified through NSF. And I, and again, I give all that information within the book. So if you are considering an RO filter, don't go do it blindly. I I really do recommend getting information on how to buy that and not get a bad system. Do you remineralize your reverse osmosis water? So I, I hear that that's a thing. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it. Look, in order to strip water from all of its junk, you lose the minerals too. There's just no yeah. way around it. You cannot just, you know, strip off particular chemicals. It just doesn't work that way, especially when we have so many and they vary in so many ways, you know, from a chemical standpoint. So you are going to lose minerals. But guess what? If you have reverse osmosis water with a salad, you know, know, or a healthy like, meal, boom, yeah. you got your minerals. So like, yeah. what is the big deal? People are like, oh, it's dead. Oh, it's harmful for you. It is not harmful for you. It is actually incredibly safe for you because it does not have the chemicals that do build up even over low, you know, periods of time, low exposures. Um, you know, you really just want that water to be the cleanest it can be. And just so you know, reverse osmosis water is what's used in dialysis machines. My dad and my brother are both kidney specialists. I mean, this is the water that's federally regulated for those patients to put back in their bodies when they get their their blood cleaned in dialysis. Why should we all not have that privilege? I mean, why should we all not working to get that for our own bodies when we know it's healthier for chronically ill kidney patients? You know? Why don't they just use it in these treatment plants? Um, well, because to create it is costly. I mean, so yeah. for instance, you know, um, even the best, I think, most sustainably built re- reverse osmosis, you lose about three gallons, four gallons of water that are oh. wasted while you're making the one gallon of clean water. So in other words, there's a, it, it, it literally has to go through so much surface area and drip, 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 drip slowly into the tank that comes with it. And you're drawing off of that tank. So you're making that clean RO water while you're not even around the sink. So, you know, it has to do with the water being cleaned and some of it going out as waste. And so you're, you know, you may get a, a bump in your water bill, certainly if you live in California, in certain places where they really do monitor that so closely. But 
the logic is that if you're only using it for drinking and cooking, you're not creating more water than you use. You're essentially just putting it in the tank and then using it as you need it. Yeah. So I, I just think the, the good far outweighs the bad. Yeah, definitely. And then what about in terms of EMFs, 5G, do people, um, that's become controversial, which I don't. Oh, yeah. So I actually what? described what 5G is. And when I was writing this book, um, you know, along with several subjects, I had to really understand it to be able to speak about it. And, you know, I didn't even understand, I mean, physics back in college, I don't know, I didn't really understand a lot of, you know, how radiation works. And I sort of got a big jump on that in the last few years. So I describe what 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G are very carefully, very, you know, very practically for anyone with any background to understand. And, you know, the the issues with 5G, I mean, they're, the fact is, is again, like the chemical industry, we don't test these um, technologies before they go into the market. Mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, and we know that other countries are banning 5G or they're at least banning them outside of schools and keeping radiation away from schools and places that people are more vulnerable because there are issues with radiation. We know that. And there's plenty of good studies. There's studies um, that was done by the National Toxicology Program of the United States funded, I think it was $30 million funded by the U.S. government that showed there were issues with radiation, especially with cell phones and the brain, um, and schwannomas around the lungs and or around the um, the heart. Sorry. So there are, you know, and I talk about these studies in the book, so people will get a much better detail um, and description that I'm giving right now. But the idea is that radiation, and we all use it. I'm holding up my cell phone. Yeah. I'm using a computer to talk to you. I mean, we all use it. The question's always going to be, how do we use this and anything else we put in on and around our body carefully and safely? Yeah. And when I walk through my kid's school back before the pandemic and all the kids had their laptops on their laps, I was really upset because I don't think they understood, you know, nor would I have at their age, of course, um, why that laptop is a, it's an antenna for radiation and it's going to create radiation around where it's sitting, including this, the very vulnerable organs, um, of the genitalia and ovaries. So we really need to think about using your laptop to, you know, a foot away on a table, you know, and not putting our cell phones like my son's in their pockets. Cause I want to be a grandmother one day, hopefully. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I make funny jokes with them because they're young, 12 and 14, but I think they get it and I see that they get it. So these are just little habits, turning off your phone, you know, putting on airplane mode when they sleep, having it far away from their bodies. Distance is a really incredibly important thing when it comes to any cellular technology away from the body. Exponentially, it loses its power as it's moved away from the body. Women who carry them, cell phones in their bra have been found to show, you know, have tumors underneath. Um, And that's now a big NIH study. So I just encourage people through that chapter to really just know why it's an issue and then understand there's just so much we can do to reduce that exposure, even if we love our tech toys. I know. And I think one of those things is with the new towers going up everywhere, it's so hard because it's so new. You don't know where they're going to go up. And you just kind of, I'm just like kind of waiting and seeing because it could, they're going up in residential areas. 
all over and they have to be only however many hundred feet apart from each other. And they radiate through buildings more aggressively than 4G. So now where you thought you might be pretty safe in your home and, you know, all this radiation is kind of swirling outside, if we could see it, we'd be horrified, right? If they could sprinkle pixie dust all over where radiation beams are coming to and from, beaming back from our phones and computers to a cell phone tower, we would be mortified. But we don't see it. So like so much else in life, if you don't see it, you don't believe it. Yeah. So um, you live on your farm with your husband and two sons? I do. I have, well, I say I'm a mom of five because I have a husband, two young boys, and then I have a cat and a dog that are boys. So I am just a mom of five and they all need literally the same level of stuff. Yeah. Attention, stuff, feeding, appointments. I mean, the list goes on and on, but they are all equally, they are all actually treated equally. So I'm not sure if my husband agrees with that, but yeah. What does your husband think about all this? You know, you know, he's uh, he's a physician and he was actually before I got into environmental health, before we even got the dog that was sick, he was really into health and wellness and diet and understanding how food matters. And, you know, he's doing his own company where he's, you know, working with patients to um, get them healthier through a variety of mechanisms and you, and really through function because he's a physiatrist and he's doing an extraordinary you know, work. And he's actually utilizing the smart human content for all of his work. So I think we partner pretty well, but you know, you're absolutely right in commenting on that because I think if you don't find support in a lot of what you do, I have a lot of patients that find no support at home, Yeah, whether it's for chemicals or it's just, you know, losing weight, you know, because they're getting, you know, cakes and cookies coming in by their spouse. And they're like, I don't know why they're doing that. Well, that's a whole psychological issue in and of itself. But Totally. The idea is finding support in whatever your passion is, is super, super rewarding and super inspiring to keep you going because you, you don't have that, you know, that block. Um, and it allows you to really, you know, keep going with a very small crowd of one that supports you and cheers you on, even if no one else does, which yeah. pe- people do for me, but it, you know, you don't know, you just don't know where you're going to find a block. And it's always nice to have someone in your corner. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And I'm, I love your approach. I think it's so important to share this with the next generation and going into the schools and, and giving these talks. And I'm really excited about what you're creating. And um, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much for having me and reaching out. And if I could just make a plug for yes, the smart. I was just going to ask you. Oh, Small I appreciate it. One. Yeah. I mean, listen, we talked about the book a lot. It's called Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, blah, blah, blah. I really want people to, to take that, pass it around your whole family to save money. I don't care, but it's just... Uh, nine years of work that I really think people will benefit from. And it's published by Oxford University Press. So it's legit. It's edited. It's my partner and I worked very hard on it. But the big plug also is please follow um, on social media, um, The Smart Human. It's called The Smart Human on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, The Smart Human Podcast, um, where I'm, I interview a lot of environmental health researchers and lawyers and people that you might never have heard from if they didn't have a platform to really talk about their stuff. Um, you know, so I hope people will follow and invite people on Facebook and Instagram and all that, because those numbers actually help me to receive grants 
to teach in high school, which I'm doing now in college. So it's, I don't sell anything. I don't endorse anything. It's squeaky clean. I'm not political. Um, I don't talk about anything wacky or fringe. It's really just legit stuff. So I hope people will follow and share with their family and friends. And definitely listen to um, her TED Talk because I loved it. Yeah. Thank you. It, that's found on YouTube. You just type that's in Ailey Cohen. Yeah. Thank you. We'll get to, to the show notes, but thank you for joining us and a good luck on everything. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nikki, and have fun with that beautiful son of yours and enjoy and, and keep doing what you're doing because this is, <laughs> this is education. This is how things change. So thank you for all that you do.